Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Snodder Walker here and I'm with my co-host for today's show, Frank King. Frank, thanks for jumping on. My pleasure. (laughs) Our guest today is Jan Warner and we're going to have her tell you a little bit about herself, but she is the author of a book called Grief Day by Day, Simple Practices and Daily Guidance for Living with Loss. And I'm, I was shocked, Jan, when I saw you've got like two and a half million Facebook followers and started a, a foundation. I mean, well, tell our listeners, how in the heck did all this happen? <laughs> well, I don't actually have a, I don't have a very solid foundation and I don't have a real foundation either. Um, I'm shocked myself when my husband died. I'm also shocked. It's almost over nine years ago now. Mm. I I expected to be sad and I expected to miss him. I didn't expect to feel like I had been blown to bits. So when I got to the point where I was trying to figure out how to have some meaning for my life, I thought, well, if I can reach one person, because he was a recovering alcoholic who sponsored a lot of people. So I could honor him by making myself available to grieving people. I never expected to have a Facebook page that has over 2 million likes from all around the world. It's genuinely a worldwide community. And that I'm, I'm sort of honored by that in itself. So that that's the, 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 the main thing. And then because I have so many people that follow me on Facebook and it's not even really, I don't like when they call people fans. I mean, these are grieving people right. that have found some place to get help. I right. was asked to write a book and I did. Mm. And well, it says founder of Grief Speaks Out. So um, tell us a little bit then, you know, at what, at what point in your grieving process were you even able to start thinking about now I want to be of service to others in the, in the grieving process? To be honest, for about the first six months, I first thought my husband was going to come get me. Mm-hmm. I was really shocked that he didn't and, and angry. I would yell at him sometimes. I thought mm-hmm. I would be one of those spouses that died immediately after their husband died. And then he didn't come get me. And I spent a while thinking that it was my job then to follow him. And I considered suicide. I researched it on the Internet and decided that I couldn't give that kind of grief to people that loved me. And so there I was after maybe six to eight months, having gone to therapy, bereavement groups, conferences around the world. It was like, here's my life that I'm sort of stuck with. What do I do? So that was when um, I started a blog. And it's at www.griefspeaksout.com. Net And for some reason, if you don't put the WW in, it doesn't get there. Um, And again, my idea was that I would just reach one person and that would be enough. Nine years later, part of my grieving is 
one showing up for things whether I want to or not because I might have an accidental good time. And the second thing is helping other people because <laughs> it gets me out of my head. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, those accidental good times are really, you know, it's like not that lying in bed watching television isn't wonderful, but there is stuff that happens outside the front door. So. <laughs> yeah, but you do need that cave at time too. I mean, you, you, you yeah. Do. I always tell people, you know, I have a friend who just lost her adult son and, uh, you know, six weeks in, she's like, I've got to get out there and help people. And I'm like, I, th- you know, we, I will help you do that. You can have a podcast dedicated to grief, you know, whatever it is you want to do. But I, I and I'm not your counselor, but I would encourage you to spend a, f- a bit more time <laughs> just caving it, you know. What I did. um and I wasn't a Facebook user in the beginning. The, the, I originally just went on Facebook so I could share pictures. Was that I found that even when I was staying in bed most of the time, first of all, I had a rule. I could only stay in bed one day in a row. So even if I just went out to the corner store to buy water, at least I got out of the house. But I would go on Facebook and look for pages where people were struggling because I couldn't be in the world, but I could be in bed and write something in response to somebody that was depressed or considering self-harm. And a couple of those people are still Facebook friends today. So Mm. you can help people and stay in bed at the same time because (laughs) I'm laughing about leaving the house. Some some people can't. So if all you're doing is breathing and staying alive, that's where you just start. Oh, abs. Thank you for saying that because that is so, so true, especially in today's world. I know, Frank, you've got a question. So please, please ask. Yes, I'm listening to the book, Jan, and for some reason, because it begins with your husband passing away, I thought, well, it's about grief and dying. And as I'm listening to the book, I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, this for example, um, my wife and I filed bankruptcy in 2010. So what what died in that case was our old lives. And I found myself, mm-hmm. the, things you, the things you're talking about with grief and, you know, traveling in time and, spend, you know, and, and going back and rethinking it, I found that was the case with the bankruptcy and the passing away of my animals. And I've got a friend who's got bipolar and I met him when he was 21 and he appeared to be mm. hale and hearty. But so I, I grieve for that person because I know it's still in there. So the thing I enjoyed, I guess, about the book was it's not just about living with and getting through the grief over the loss of a loved one. It's it's any sort of loss. Was that what you had intended? Was it it's in the, in that general fashion? That's that was something that surprised me. And sometimes when I'm talking to people, trying to. I'm not very good at pitching myself at pitching myself as a speaker somewhere <laughs> is that I thought that I was writing about my husband dying so that people that either read the book or came to my page or read my blog would be people who had lost a husband or wife. What I found was that what I've been told the most is I'm good at articulating what other people are thinking, but don't have words for. So grief is grief. You grieve, like you said, if you have to file bankruptcy, what you're grieving is the future that you thought you would have. So I never judge grief when my husband died, my daughter's dog had just died, and I never felt, I don't know what the word is, hurt in any way when she talked about how sad she was because her dog was her best friend. If somebody, somebody, people have asked me about divorce. I I always told my husband he didn't have to worry about alimony because I would kill him. But uh, <laughs> I've said the same thing. So, <laughs> so yeah. I, I think it's harder. I, I would have had a really hard time having him leave me because he wanted to, as opposed to the fact that he was had cancer. So yeah. I have had people say that the same thing, that even though the book was written with the idea that somebody would have had somebody die. There's also, there's a word anticipatory grief where if somebody is dying and you're taking care of them, you're grieving. If somebody is older, if somebody's sick, somebody that has a mental illness or an addiction that you can't reach. So I, I use the metaphor for myself of blowing into bits, but if you actually lose your house due to foreclosure or hurricane, 
you grieve over that. People are grieving politically right now on both sides. So, yeah, I think that there are things that you could apply in the book to almost anything. Um, and, you know, I I, um, I suffer something that's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide, my mm. great aunt. Um, I've come very close myself. And I found the, um, in your book that the reactions people have to someone who is grieving and the things they say to people who are grieving, um, sometimes insensitive, although they don't generally mean it that way, are the same sorts of things that they say to someone who uh, have major depressive disorder. And my favorite, by the way, was, because this comes up all the time, is it buck up, buttercup? Is that the uh, phrase you yeah. use in the book or, or somebody? Uh, suck it, suck it up, buttercup. Yeah, it's yeah. like... Yeah. Just, just yeah. cheer, just, just cheer up. It's a beautiful world. Follow your bliss. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, as a matter of fact, somebody asked me last night how to. She knew somebody that was grieving and what she should do and I, what she should say, and I said nothing. Listen, yeah. because hey. people will tell you. I've, I've thought. What I say now is whatever you think would help you. Pretend I just said it, because <laughs> what. So but it's because what I would say to you that would be helpful, I would say to another person and they would think it was the most hurtful person they ever heard. Right. And we need people to yep. hear that this is real. I, I you know, sometimes because you could tell I do have a sense of humor. <laughs> Somebody will say, how are you? And I'll say, I'm actually having a wonderful day. But, you know, my husband, he's still dead. So <laughs> it, it's it's uh, that yeah. that's it. And you don't you need to respect people that are depressed. You yes. need to respect people that are grieving. You need to honor them where they are. And, of course, the hope is always, which is why I always in everything go back and forth, even in my own life between dark and light, is, yes, you want them to aim for being fully alive with whatever they have. So the depression isn't a box where you slam the door. I always say my role model for depression is Winston Churchill, because look yeah. at how much he achieved even while mm -hmm. he was depressed. But if you can't do it, and, and the section of, uh, on moving in my book, because it is good to move, you know, I say if you really want to go out and great. run, that's fine. But you can also just like move your little finger. That's yeah. enough. If you need to start with moving your little finger, move it. That was inspiring to read that about about movement because um, yeah, you do need to do, do you do otherwise that grief just stays locked in your in your body. I have a, an interesting, hopefully you'll think it's interesting question, um, just because I have I, I have some family members, obviously everybody deals with different kinds of grief almost every day, you're, you're in a process of grieving something, but um, I had a family member that they, they, you know, did the thick grief, grief group, and they did all the stuff that they, you know, that I said they should do. And I'm not saying I was some kind of expert, but I was asked advice. So they seemed like they did everything. And then they got so terrified of being alone, that they immediately went scoping out a replacement and they picked, you know, because they, they have some money Lord. and whatever, they, they picked someone that really um, used, used the grief of theirs to get in and get control and all those things. Mm. So is that something that you hear from people or that you've talked about before the, the vulnerability of that aloneness and then wanting to go and find some kind of replacement and, and then maybe being taken advantage of? Definitely there. Are, I mean, that's, I, I do watch true crime. So, uh, but I'm always surprised <laughs> yes. that yeah. unfortunately there are predators out there. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. and I also find if you're talking about, uh, uh, people who have lost a, a fiance or a husband or wife or a lifelong partner, that there's three, there's people that like me that are sort of, I'm a professional widow. I just can't imagine falling in love with anybody else. There right. are people that have asked to be released from their grief and have genuinely fallen in love with somebody and are happily married, even though they remember and honor the person, they don't feel guilty because they remember and honor the person that died, but they found a new love. And then there are the people that either get taken advantage of, or like, I wouldn't, if I ever dated somebody, they'd have to be their own person. 
I don't want to be with somebody and be complaining about them all the time because I miss my husband. That's not good for me. But it's really like like anything, it's really hard to watch somebody that you love making bad choices. And because, you know, anything you say is not going to get through. No. Yeah. And and getting so defensive of this person who is just horrifying, um, especially in comparison to, you know, their former spouse um, and and to say anything and then just be screamed at and all. It was very, very, very traumatic. And a a lot of us in the family had to do our, our grieving, not only for the person that was actually lost, but also for the relationship that is now um, lost, hopefully not forever with this person who's under the control of someone else. It, it, that's, that's the hardest thing for me is to um, love somebody and watch them do something that I know is destructive and not yes. be able to do anything about it. Um, somebody I know just did something. Um, I asked if she had already done it because I don't like to criticize people after they've made the choice because then they really feel like they're floundering. Yeah. But how to say, you know, I'm concerned because I've seen this happen in other things and it's had a bad ending, but then you have to let it go and have that person. Cause there's that, what you said, that pushback, the more reasonable and the more you try and help sometimes that makes them lock into the person even more. Oh, it just helps. I, I feel like I, I helped this, this lifelong predator, you know, oh. in the door even further by, by pointing out what was obvious. Um, but you know, that I think there's a whole different, level or or measure of grief when like you said it's someone that's um, still alive and the relationship you can't have the relationship with them and you are watching them miserable but they there's nothing that you can do yeah I'm more of a um, claiming myself but Mm -hmm. there are people that can't be alone I mean I would I I had a rather negative reaction to it being 2019. I thought, okay, same old hamster wheel. I just have Mm -hmm. to get up. I just have to do this. Another year, my blah, 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 blah. And then I went, well, actually, it's a really nice hamster wheel, even if it is one. You know, it's that I'm so good at clinging on to the bad stuff that that's one of the hardest Mm. things to do, I think, for people is to, to focus on the things that, are going well and that are happy that's one of the things that's in the book is that idea that you may already have laughed a few times but you haven't bothered to notice it yet because we sometimes it's self-definition I'm an antisocial person well actually I do a lot of socializing so maybe I have to change my definition of myself um but yeah, I bet. I mean, I'm really good at bad choices. So some people that's like a, it's, it's an unmarketable <laughs> skill is like, I'm 67. I'm making the same bad choice I made when I was 12. That's really good. But then also I've made good choices, but yeah, predators are scary in any, scary. any, any, because they know your weak spots and they know Absolutely. how to pray. Upon they, them. And they know how to yeah. work your family. They know how to work that grief, all those things are right, the shows that we do about psychological, predators and, you know, people with um, narcissistic personality disorder, that kind of thing. Um, those shows get the most listens of any. And you, I've seen people on, on television where it, it's they people present proof that the person has multiple yes. aliases and has taken care of multiple people. And they still or, go home with them. And they, yeah, it's, it's just really hard to take in when you feel that you're in love with somebody who loves you when they're not real. So it's tough. I mean, and that's true for anybody, you know, it's, it's cults and it's just loneliness is something that is part of the human condition and we try and deal with it in lots of different ways. And sometimes the ways are, um, self-care is, is, it sounds like it's obvious. Well, I'm here, I'm alive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of myself, but that can be the hardest thing to do of anything. Frank, go ahead. I know you have questions. Again, the self-care, of course, is a big deal in the mental health care business. I've got a self-care plan and I work it to, to, to you know, because um, the 
depression or whatever doesn't go away. And I also have something called chronic suicidality, which means suicide is always an option. Again, doesn't go away, but if you're careful. Uh, two things, two lines, uh, two of my favorite lines in the book, Jan. One is funny um, in a dark sort of way, and the other is serious. The funny one was, and it's early in the book, took a sketch comedy class. They asked you, I guess the instructor asked you, why did you take the class? You said, my husband died, so I decided to do comedy. Is that the... That's correct. That's right. I, I just everything was sad. You know, it was like I was going to bereavement groups. I was going to therapy. I was dealing with grief, and it was like, what? You know, I I gotta I gotta do something counter to this. I have to make myself laugh, and that that was what I said. Why are you taking this class? My husband died, so I thought I'd do comedy. And I was in my sixties, and the teacher used to write for Saturday Night Live, and he would keep going, who wrote this? Who wrote this? Because I just wrote the most outrageously funny and ex- sexually explicit things I could think of <laughs> to just get my brain going. And even now, I'll, I don't do that anymore, but I'll, um, like I'll, I'll be on Facebook and I'll look for funny comments or I'll look at beautiful pictures. It's where's my... Where am I directing my my vision? My husband used mm. to say, "If you live in your head, you live in a very bad neighborhood." So <laughs> get out of my head and get back into the world. And for me, I, I just want to address I want to address two things about the suicide. That was something I fought for in the book. They wanted the the section called "Considering Suicide" to be contemplating the end. And I had, I just did a rant. I said, mm. you have to, mm. I said, if one person is thinking about suicide and they open the book and they don't see the word and they kill themselves because of that, it's your fault. People aren't contemplating the end. They're on the internet or they're looking for how many pills to take or they're buying bullets. You have mm. to say to somebody, do you feel like killing yourself? Do you have a plan? What's your plan? Do you have a reason for not doing it? It, So to me, it's really important to honor also when somebody says that they're feeling suicidal. It's not something that, like, if if I'm talking to somebody who's not suicidal, they're not going to go, oh, gee, thanks for the idea. Right. But they're going to say, no, I'm not. But you open up, again, a conversation with somebody to find out. I have a dear friend whose husband just killed himself, and she is trying not to judge herself for not being there. And it's it's really not her responsibility, but it's also it was a surprise to so many people. And I think because, like grief, we don't talk about it. So it's terribly important to talk to people about stuff. No, and don't make them feel bad in. and not say, don't feel that way. Life is beautiful, you know, because the answer to that is, well, not for me right now, but bye. Um, but to really hear what people are saying and what their pain is, and then hopefully they'll choose life. But some people don't, and it's it's tragic well, for those who are left. Yes, and I, I make a living speaking, and the, the overarching theme is start the conversation because silence kills. Um, you know, give, yeah. give people permission to give voice to those feelings without recrimination. Um, exactly, yes. My, my favorite serious line, by the way, and I've been doing stand-up comedy for 30-plus years, I've, so I write everything that I speak, and so from a writer's perspective, the line was, and I'm, I'm maybe paraphrasing, but this is what I could remember. My heart is locked in a dead man's chest. Yes, that's that from a quote. Line. That wasn't, that wasn't my line. That's a quote. And I, I, I can't off the top of my head, give you the author, but that's, um, the, the, I think we, I, I do a mean thing occasionally with people and it's for education purposes and I will just say to them the phone just rang and your daughter or your husband or I name whoever is closest to them was just killed in a car accident when will you get over it and I've had grown men cry just at the thought of it I've also had people be angry at me for just asking the question but I'm not somebody who believes that you get over grief or you move on it just living fully with life. There's a psychologist that calls finding a relational home for it. Um, sometimes I'm, I, I eat too much, so I call it a layer cake. It's like, I'll always have that layer of grief and sadness, but I've got a lot more layers now. When, when Artie first died, all I had was the grief layer. Now I've got grief, but I've got cake. And if I'm, I'm getting too much into the grief, it's like, well, you know, 
pay attention to your granddaughter. Look at this. Look mm-hmm. at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, why, I, it, it just seemed, that's how, I, that was the other way I started this. I had somebody tell me uh, that I had complicated grief and I should be over missing my husband in six months to a year. Yeah. And that was oh. the stupidest thing I ever heard. Why would somebody that was so important to me and so essential to my life that gave me such love that I had love for, we also fought a lot. It wasn't like this fairy well, tale romance. It's called but a he got me. Why would I want it? Why would I want to forget him? It doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. It's like saying, you know, here's the most, you know, I just won an Olympic medal. Oh, I should get over it. Uh, <laughs> it's silly. <laughs> I never. I just came up with that. I'm going to say my husband's my Olympic gold. <laughs> yeah, I like write it down. I got 33, <laughs> 33 years of a best friend and my ex-husband. We, we both have one child together, um, our child. But yeah, I've thought about that with him because he's 16 years older than I am. And although historically his family lives with eight heart stints and all kinds of issues until they're like 98 years old. So I'll mm-hmm. probably go before he does anyway. But I, I was thinking about that um, the other day. I don't know. I was in a maudlin or morose mood or whatever. And I, I was, it just hit me in the chest. Oh my God, what that will be the grief of my life. That man, that right. absolutely the grief of my life other than our, our son, of course, but uh, it struck me how much it, it would that it will have an effect on me should he go before I do. And I don't think you can prepare yourself for it because my oh, husband was older no. than I was. He lied about his age when he first met me. Um, Mine did too. How how really? was he off? How many years was he off? He shaved off ten years. Oh, and when he told and he was a good looking man. Um, <laughs> Mine only he did says one. He still is, but uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so. <laughs> I, I do that. I'm very lucky to have, um, I called him taps on the head. I don't know if I'm making it up, but every once in a while, I feel like he's talking to me. So lucky, I'm lucky to have friends that when I say, and Artie says, they don't go, you're crazy. They just allow me to um, say something from his point of view. But yeah, no, it, it, and I thought when he, when I found out th- that he was 21 years older than me, I thought sickness and death. Oh. And this is how I will react. And then yeah. it was totally, it was totally different than I thought it would be. Um, yeah, we were six, yeah, 16 years. And, and so he's in his sixties and I'm in my late forties, but uh, he only right. did, he only did a year. And when I found out from his sister, well, he's not 34, he's 35. I, you know, I was already pregnant and whatever. And we were already like, we, we're obviously <laughs> together, soulmates, all that kind of stuff. But I looked at him and I said, what did you think one year was going to do? <laughs> I think that was what I was going to say was that, you know, that he really thought that you would not love him anymore. If he like told you he was a year older than he was. That's funny. Yeah. It was, he, he's a hoot. He's still just, yeah, no one can make me laugh uh, or just gets you. And it's how I get it when it's that, that person, that's your person. That's, um, <sighs> that's that's, huge... that's what you just said. I'm glad you have a person. I have, I'm very lucky. I have a wonderful daughter and granddaughter and I have mm-hmm. a lot of friends, but I don't feel like I have a person anymore. Right. That person that waits home for you, the person that just really understands the person yes. that lets you go on and on and on about yes. Um, yes. whatever it is you go on and on and about without like just going, okay, Shut I can't. Up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and even if they say shut up, you can go, no, I need you to hear me. And they'll keep going where somebody else right. says, you know, that they really mean shut up. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, it's having and uh, there are people that have best friends, but I, I've also suffered. It's important for people to know that if their best friend or people in their lives have disappeared, I do not understand why. But it happens to a lot of grieving people that people they thought would be there to support them just kind of disappear. So it's it's a tough thing because you have to deal with the grief over losing friendships in addition to the grief over the person that died. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The uh, there's a quote from somebody I don't know where it came from, but uh, life is like a a train ride with people getting off at odd spots. You know, your friend passing away. I like that. It's like, it's like, yeah. this is not the end of your ride. Get back on the train. And they're like off in the distance and they don't, they're not yeah. even listening to you anymore. So it, yeah, it's, it's tough. 
Yeah, that's darn uh, My dad died when I was eight years old. Um, <laughs> it's to make it more melodramatic with my birthday and also Thanksgiving. Um, oh God, I hate that. I'm sorry. Sorry, no, it sucks you know, at the I, word, but yeah, that's yeah. awful. Um, and uh, there's other issues we can talk about later, but um, what I recall from you know from eight on is I felt I felt for other people who'd never lost someone. My first wife, a lovely woman, my high school sweetheart, we just didn't belong together, but she'd never lost anyone, grandparents, parents, uncle, aunt, cousin, nobody. And I just thought, you know, I just, I fear for her because I know what's coming. I know the depth and breadth of that grief and she's never experienced it. And, you know, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. So I just, I found myself having, uh, I guess, more empathy for people in facing that situation, especially if they've never lost someone and been through it once. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's it going to hit everybody at some point you, you can't escape that, but, um, but that's an interesting perspective to be able to look at that and go, that is going to be rough for this person. And also, Jan, we, uh, my dad passed away. We didn't go, we didn't, my mother didn't take us to the funeral, which I think was a mistake. She wanted us to remember him as he was. I think we could have, my sister and I both used the closure is not the proper word, but right. you know, there's never closure, but not only that, nobody in our house spoke of him for four years. Mm. Uh, oh my goodness! I found, yeah, I I found my Boy Scout his old Boy Scout manual, and I was twelve now, so I was eligible to join the Boy Scout. So I I found it somewhere, and I walked up to the kitchen where my mom was holding the Boy Scout manual. She's washing a glass in the sink. She's got the rag and the glass in her hands, and I said to her, "This is the first time anybody mentioned my dad in four years." I said, "Was Dad a Boy Scout?" And of course, the glass dropped. Right. <laughs> so, you know, cause, and, and that's, that's actually how we started the conversation about my dad was that, you know, that, but yeah, we just, it was like he was there one day and then, you know, like a Twilight Zone episode, who? No, gone the next. So Some people deal with it, like with silence. And I, I just, I mean, if you're with me and you want to be my friend, you're just going to hear stories about my husband. It doesn't matter that he's been dead for nine years. There's no new memories, but there's lots of old ones. So if you're talking about something, I'm going to be saying already this or already that. And with children, I think people are afraid sometimes, but you want to talk. That's where the listening comes in, say their names. You want to talk about the person that died or at least say, do you ask if you want to talk about them? Because they, they didn't like, it's not like I don't know he's dead. It's not like I forgot about him and you're going to remind me. I want, I was like feisty about it. It's like, I'm going to remember him and I'm going to make damn sure everybody else does. And it, it's <laughs> odd because I talk about him in, in, on the blog, I mean, in the Facebook page and and to my friends. So a lot of people feel like they know him, that never met him. Um, so, so yeah, I, I wish that your your mom had been able to talk about it. But for whatever reason, I guess what you say about the dropping of the glass, maybe it was too painful for her to, to talk about it. Yes. I, uh, I wish I wish people would talk about stuff more. And then, of course, sometimes I wish they would talk about stuff less. <laughs> so it depends upon where we are and, and things. Well, but and, nothing's and to be to build. You mentioned your book Go about ahead. dreaming about um, dreaming or curled up, what you call that, where you're sleeping like spoons, but you didn't call it sleeping like spoons. Um, uh, nooks and cra- our nooks and crannies. Mm. Nooks and crannies, yeah. And then you... you um, you call up to you and you'd be, I guess, backed into him into your nook and cranny position in a dream. Um, and then you, of course, at some point you have to wake up and he's not there. And I, I hesitate to tell friends of mine about things like that because I, I feel whether it's an animal or a, a human companion that comes to me in a dream, we spend time together. Um, I think of that as a bonus visit. <laughs> um, and you know, knowing deep down it's going to end at some point. But uh, yeah, I always, I always feel blessed that that's you know I got that extra few minutes with that person or in, that creature in your dream state. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, my favorite question that I uh, every day I ask a question, and one of my favorite questions is: Is there something that you do or feel that you feel is crazy? And then that's the one where I always say, remember, remember you're on Facebook and it's an open page and people will be reading yeah. what you're writing. Right. But I'll, I'll share what mine is. I thought that when my husband died, I had him cremated and that I would have my daughter who 
was a woodworker, built him a beautiful urn. And instead, I took the bag of ashes, and it's in a pillow on my bed. And I thought that when I wrote that, everybody would, like, run away from me, and nobody would ever, I mean, obviously, you're crazy to have your husband's ashes and a pillow on your bed. But what I found out is there's a lot of people that actually have the ashes of the people they love or the pet they love in a pillow on their bed. Mm-hmm. So it's a good, sometimes it's a good thing to say yes. this because you find out you're not alone. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes people are genuinely worried because people yes. will think will be critical of them for the choices they made. Or I think grief is such a horrible thing. You just, I'm sorry for stepping on you. Just you, you whatever you, unless you're hurting somebody or yourself Whatever you do is fine. You're trying to cope with something that you can't cope with. You're trying to live with something that's unbearable. So however creative you get, bless you, that's what you need to be doing. Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking about, you know, this is what we do in the mental health field. And I, I had a guest come on who um, is very in Hollywood circles and talks about, you know, all this stuff that he went through, which is which was totally fine. It was inspiring to hear, but he's not in mental health circles. So he was going on and on about, you know, people just don't talk about these things, mental illness. And I was like, well, we do every freaking day. <laughs> so <laughs> and we, we talk about, you know, the stuff like what you're talking about, we'll say those things. And I think what's interesting about that is even though I can get a hit of, oh, geez, I shouldn't have shared that because now I've really let the cat out of the bag on how messed up I am or whatever, you know, and then I let it go. But what's interesting is more someone who's really uncomfortable about some about and what you said put, you know, is something that triggered something they haven't dealt with quite yet. Mm. And so their reaction sometimes, like, I'll, I'll give you a better example. I'm butchering this. I was doing a speech when I was very young about sexual abuse and, um, and someone, and, and I was talking about my father and someone got up and started pointing their fingers at me and telling me, how dare you say that? Blah, blah, blah. And I knew, cause I had enough therapy already that I just, touched, I made them uncomfortable because they hadn't dealt with that, that had happened to them. And I, and I knew to be very kind and ask if there was a counselor in the room and all those kind of things. And then years later, I ran into this woman while I was speaking at a different thing. And she did tell me that that is what happened. She was so enraged at, not at me, but at what I was saying, because she had not dealt with what had happened to her. Not everybody gets that kind of meetup later to know that whoever was upset with them, uh, you know, it wasn't about them, but that's a big thing I notice is a lot of times what they're saying to you is showing you how uncomfortable they are, not how weird you are. Right. And also for me, it's worth the risk because of the doors it opens. Yeah. I was lucky when I was in college it occurred to me that if I always wore a mask, I would die never knowing if anybody liked me or not. That <laughs> there are people that don't yes. want to be around me, but the ones that do, they know me. They they put up with the, the grouchy part and the sad mm-hmm. part because I just am who I am. But a lot of times somebody will tell me that um, somebody told me she had been in a psychiatric hospital. Somebody else just emailed me and said, he was feeling lonely and did I ever feel that way because he was traveling by himself. So what I've done is by making, and this was somebody who said to me once friendship means something different to you than it does to most people. And I said, yes, but it does then open the door for somebody to share their secret. I'm putting it in in parentheses, but I also, I, I grew up in the sixties where it was like, let it all hang out. And it's like, hi, I just met you. And this is what happened to me. (laughs) And let's judge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where, where, who, who you're talking to. And you know, if you're like a, like you're meeting somebody professionally for the first Mm -hmm. time, although living on Facebook, I had never intended to live openly on Facebook. Um, Sometimes I'll meet somebody professionally and they'll kind of, shyly look away and go um I read what you write and I say that's okay you just know me better than I'll ever know you um, so <laughs> right. it's, um but it, it does it opens doors it, it, it's 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 for real communication I mean how lonely is it to have be in a room full of friends 
and know that not one of you knows who you really are. I can't well, even imagine. Yeah, that. not being able to talk and be vulnerable. Um, I, I've seen that at different gatherings with people. I'm comfortable with my peeps and new peeps that come in because we all will talk about anything. But I, I know when I go into different environments, it's going to be all surface stuff. And God forbid I talk about what I do because that will be the minute that everybody gets up from the table and says, gotta go. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, yes, but everybody but the person uh, this morning, I'm at a convention, um, a woman I'd never met. Um, she built my profile online for this convention. She comes up, she goes, you're Frank. I go, yeah. She gives me a big hug. She goes, I'm Peggy. I've built the, you know, your whatever. And she goes, um, and I hear this a lot. See if you hear this, see if this happens to you, Jan, a uh, similar way. I don't, she goes, I don't tell many people this because they wouldn't understand but she'd taken a, you know, she'd taken a half a bottle of Prozac and chased it with some Irish coffee and trying mm. to end her life. Um, do you get people come up? I, I feel like the permission fairy. Do you feel yeah. that because people know what you do, that they are willing to share their story, even perfect strangers, because they just want to tell somebody what they're experiencing? Yes. When they know what I do, I, I, I have this reluctance to become a face um, with the book. It's interesting. I, I have been pushing for some TV spots and haven't gotten them yet, but I'm ambivalent because I went to um, my granddaughter's back to school night and one of the people there came up and started telling me the story about her father who was dying. And I listened to her and behaved the way I would with somebody who was in pain, but I really didn't want to talk about that right at that moment. So, yes, people do that, but not as much as they will if at some point I become a face and be unrecognized on the street. But I always feel like since I have I didn't ask for this, I find it extremely ironic that I have somehow written a book and have this great footprint in the world because my husband died. And of course, I can't I can share it with him, but not. Anyway, you could figure out how complicated that all is. Um, but yeah, that, the, the, what you said, the permission fairy is, do you, you take away your, your, your ability sometimes to just be private about things because mm -hmm. people know all about it. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That that's an interesting. I've, 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 I've thought about that too. Like do people have pushed me, you know, don't just be on, a podcast also do webcasts and we started doing them and I'm, I'm okay with it, but I, I really, yeah, I, I agree with you about the, the face part is adds an, a different layer to things that I'm not sure that I want, not because I have a problem with what I look like, but more that's something deeper than, than that. So thank you for bringing that up because that I've never heard anyone talk about it in that particular Yeah, you way. become open you, you would then become open to like when you were in the grocery store and right um yes. that, that's that's <laughs> you just you just want to get whatever it is and get out and somebody comes up to you and recognizes you and says oh right. you're, um can i tell you about and then you want to help them but you also don't so <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, I, and I'm not talking about that I would become Oprah or something like that, but <laughs> it, 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 it's, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's, oh, I, that was something I was going to say before is when we talk about different things we do and listening, sometimes somebody will write me and say, I, this, is that normal? And oftentimes it's like noon and I'm eating ice cream, watching soap operas in my pajamas and I go, why are they asking me? <laughs> Right, exactly. But I don't, it's, it's not, it, my answer is for me too, it's not, is it normal, but does it serve the life I want to live? Mm, like my thing is I, I, I eat too much and I, I'm not <laughs> healthy. And if I could get physically healthy, I would feel much better. So it's not, is it normal to not, you know, be eating ice cream at noon and watching a soap opera, but does it serve the kind of life I want to have? And then the second question is, can I change it? Sometimes I can't change it. Um, so that's like a, people have gratitude lists. I have a forgiveness list. I really wanted to change that, but I wasn't able to, maybe tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So um, we, nice we're so to... good at making ourselves miserable. We're here we for are. such a short time. And we are just like the human species is champion at <laughs> looking for the painful bits and keep pushing on them. 
Um, so I don't know. Yeah, no, that's and, that's absolutely true. Go ahead, Frank, and then I'm gonna um, close the the show. Okay. When my mom died, and I you mentioned this in your book, um, I said I remember sitting very clearly sitting at the YMCA waiting for my basketball game. You know, where uh, somebody else is playing. My time's coming up, and I'm thinking as I'm grieving, don't these people understand? It all ends. It's just mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. Nobody makes it out alive. Don't why? How can these people be happy playing basketball? When, when we all know, you know, we have a best of use by date and, you know, it took, it, that, that took me a while to work through that to get back to where I could ignore the fact that we're all terminal basically from the time we're born. Right. Well, I, I, I'm the opposite in that I, my granddaughter's seven and I don't ever want to hurt that little girl. When my daughter was pregnant, I didn't know if I could love another person. I didn't know if that part of me had been shut off, but it hasn't. So that's my reason for staying, but I call it the great party in the sky. I don't know if there's an afterlife or not, but it doesn't make sense to me that like your relationship with your mom and dad, that it would end. So I believe, cause it allows me to function that there is a great party in the sky. So I call it, I call life decorating the waiting room. Um, <laughs> so nice, I, totally. I don't know. I, I, I'm, but that's my, my suicidal, I, I I I have to explain to people from for me I will not commit suicide unless I have some kind of terminal illness and I have my daughter's permission. But that doesn't mean I don't sometimes think, gee, wouldn't it be nice to be in the great part? Because because it's my, you know, I'm I'm in a little club with my husband and we're listening to Elvis and Judy Garland. And, you know, and, and young people, yeah. okay, if you never heard of them, um, but it, <laughs> I I hope there's something after this, and if there isn't, it won't matter because I'll be dead. I won't know. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but if there is, and this this comforts me, Jane. If there is, everybody I know and love is that's gone on is there right now waiting for me, including exactly. my dogs that I loved my all my yeah. life, all the dogs I've ever had. I always think, oh, yeah, it does make sense if the pets aren't there. I think it's I I don't know what it's like. I think if you have a sense of humor, the first thing you do is laugh because it's so different than what you imagined. But I it, there does seem to me not to be sense not to have the journey with all the the people and pets and things that we love existing in some, I don't know if I have time to say this, but I think it's in the book that when my husband first died, I went to the UPS store and there was a man that was a very serious looking man. He didn't look in any way freakish or hippie or not mm-hmm. that hippie is freakish because that was a wrong parallel, but he just looked like a very normal man. And he asked if he could carry the two boxes to my car. And I said, no, I could carry them myself. And he said, no, I want to carry them to your car. And I said, okay. And he knew us just as customers. We, you know, we use the UPS store every once in a while. And he looked at me and he said, your husband came to me and said, I had to tell you how much he loves you. You have to know how much he loves you. And I laughed and I said, that must've been a heck of a dream. And he said, it wasn't a dream. Take this seriously. It was an apparition. Your husband appeared to me and he needs you to understand how much he continues to love you. And I started to cry. And of course, now I make it to joke and go, what does UPS deliver to you? But that, that's <laughs> yeah. why would he do that? You know, it's just I've had those kind of experiences where people who don't know me and have no reason to make me feel better are giving me a message from my right. husband. So. It, yeah, I and I, I don't have an answer, but it does make me feel better to think that. Um, and I also um, would like Ronald Coleman and old, for people who don't know who Ronald Coleman, old black and white movie stars, <laughs> Cary Grant. I'd like them to be at the end of the white light as well. So that's sure. my personal request. <laughs> well, Jan Warner, author of Grief Day by Day, tell our listeners where they can find you. You can find me at www.facebook.com slash grief speaks out. Um, you can also find me at www.griefspeaksout.net. That's the blog. I don't write blog posts anymore, but there's a huge body of work there. But if you don't put in the www, it's going to show it's not going to get you to the page, but the Facebook page right now is the biggest thing. And 
uh, to the person that told me I need to do Instagram um, because that's where the young people are. I haven't made it yet, but coming in the future, coming Instagram soon. maybe. Yeah. And if you Google Jan Warner and grief, I yeah. come up. That's uh, that's oh, yeah. my connection now. So. <laughs> oh yes. And I signed up for the Facebook. Uh, I liked you last night on Facebook. Those two and a half million. Thank you. One. <laughs> I appreciate. It. I I appreciate it, but I'm also so I I always say to people, I'm really sorry that you need something like this, and yeah. because I can't bring people back. When my husband first died, people would say, "Can I help you?" And I would say, "Can you resurrect dead people?" And they'd say, "No." And I'd say, "Well, then not so much." Right. So. Thank you for liking the page, and it people it means a lot to me that people say it does bring them some measure of comfort. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for coming on our show. This was lovely. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very grateful for the two of you. <laughs> and Frank King, thanks for being my co-host. Uh, my pleasure. When I saw James' name on there, and you said, would, "Would you like to go host tomorrow?" Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah, thank you our, so much. This is our first oh. thing together. But anyway, um, I want to say thank you, of course, to our listeners for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com, we love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. good intentions i heat up and act on my emotions thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio our podcast can be found on itunes stitcher and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com if you have a question or would like to be a guest become a podcaster on our network or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.